Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of The Playbook Podcast. For this episode, we have a panel of three phenomenal women in our LGO family, Juliet Chevalier, Lisa Sue, and Lauren Sikirka. Juliet is currently a second-year student pursuing an engineering degree in aeronautics and astronautics with a focus on autonomous systems. Before LGO, she spent five years in the autonomous vehicle industry. Outside of work and school, Juliet is either spending quality time with her fiancé Brian and dog Kona or trying out a new baking recipe. Lisa is also a second-year student in the Civil and Environmental Engineering Department. She worked in a global biotech company before coming to LGO. After graduating, she'll be joining Nike as a project manager supporting supply chain analytics. And in this last spring semester, she's hoping to be able to start up wine and cheese nights again with the ladies of LGO. Lauren is a first year student who graduated with a bachelor's in chemical engineering and worked for ExxonMobil for eight years before coming to LGO. Right now, she's focused on supply chain and operations research. She's a senator at Sloan, helps champion underrepresented minority admissions, and volunteers with multiple LGO committees. And outside of LGO, she's a board game enthusiast, outdoor lover, wife, and loving cat mom. This episode gives a look behind the curtains on the personal side of the LGO experience. For any prospective students listening to this podcast, we really hope that you find this episode helpful. We'll talk through some deep topics, including transitioning into the virtual world, going through the imposter syndrome, maintaining relationships with significant others, and our future careers. So please join me in welcoming our three panelists. All right, so we have Juliet. Hi, everybody. And Lisa. Hello. And Lauren. Hello. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks 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 for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to start off by congratulating Lisa being named 2021's Siebel Scholar. Absolutely. (laughs) Crushing it. Thank you. So Lisa, I, I want to take it back to the beginning, you know, right when it all started before, you know, you were just deciding to apply to the LGO program. What was going through your mind at the time? What motivated you to apply? Yeah. So I guess for me, I've always planned on getting an MBA at some point in my career. And I didn't see myself as an engineer per se, but I did want to kind of maintain that technical core knowledge. Um, Coming from the biotech industry, I mean, it's an industry where you really do need to understand like the basic science and the mechanisms behind the product. Um, So I wanted to kind of continue that, but shift gears a little bit um, from my chemical engineering background, more to like a supply chain operations focused background. And so LGO was kind of the perfect blend between business as well as that engineering component. Um, And what I did particularly like was that I could sort of tune the level of engineering difficulty, I guess, um, depending on where my interests were. So even just looking across the class, like there are some people who are super hardcore engineer and like very into it. I think Juliet's more on that side versus like (laughs) me, which is like a little bit more like light touch um, where I really appreciate it, want to learn about it because I think it's important for a leader in operations to know that stuff. Um, But I'm not necessarily going to be super hardcore moving into it. But that's where I thought LGO was a great place to have that flexibility so I could kind of make it into what I wanted it to be. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and Juliet, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, because you worked at so many companies before coming into LGO, you know, especially in the autonomous vehicle sector. You were at Google, Draper, Optimus Ride. What motivated you to get into the autonomy space and, you know, why LGO? Yeah, well, those are all uh, good questions. As far as why LGO, you know, especially when I had moved more into the startup side of the autonomous vehicle industry, I was seeing a lot of people talking through investors. I was doing a lot of demos with investors and I started making kind of more and more business related decisions in my role. But I found that if I had any reason to differ from my executives on a business decision, it tended to end with the saying, well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an engineer. You don't do business, which always rubbed me the wrong way. And so, you know, after a while, I just said, you know what? Damn it, I'm going to get a business degree. So you can't (laughs) say that anymore. And long term, I'm somebody who wants to start my own company, hopefully being a CEO so I, I want to get that business acumen. I want to get that credibility when I'm going to be in front of investors, in front of VCs, just so that's really not even a question that I, I actually know my stuff on that side. But even on the engineering side, since I've been an engineer at, at these kinds of companies, I know that I value executives who have technical experience and that, that really know their stuff. So I wanted to make sure that I still got a little deeper on the engineering side, got a little more under my belt in terms of degrees, in terms of knowledge. And like Lisa pointed out, I've done a lot more than maybe some LGOs as far as uh, pushing myself to learn some new aspects of autonomy. But I did that so that I could be kind of the strongest CEO later. So although I don't plan to really do hardcore engineering for the rest of my life, I want to make sure that that's not a question that I can do both the business and the engineering. And so the LGO program was just kind of the sweet spot for that. And I really haven't even today found another program that really kind of marries those two so well. So really happy that I ultimately decided on LGO. Yeah, for sure. It's like the perfect intersection between tech and business. Absolutely. So it seems like for the both of you, you know, LGO was sort of a logical choice But was there anything holding you back at the time? At least for me, I had a lot of people telling me, you know, you probably don't need to go to business school, especially on the MBA side. I actually don't think a lot of people told me, you know, anything negative about getting the MS in engineering. They were like, yeah, sure, Mm. do that. Mm. Um, But a lot of people in the startup world, especially, you know, in computer science and stuff like that, the people who I was friends with in the industry generally thought that you don't need an MBA to be a CEO, that there's plenty of CEOs who don't have those business degrees. I had people sending me lists and lists of them uh, to to try to prove to me that I didn't need one. And I hear them. I think that's a good point. Um, I think not everybody needs one. But, you know, if I'm going to get my MS and I can just kind of snag an MBA on the way, you know, there's that's really great, I think. And I do think that there was a gap in my knowledge on on some of the business side. And I'm I at least will feel like I'll have less imposter syndrome when I'm talking about business related concepts because I have that backing. Whether or not, you know, I could have just read it in a book, sure, but like personally for me, I feel more confident now because I have this loan backing behind me. Yeah. I think for me, it was very different than maybe some of the doubts that Juliet had talked about. So, my undergrad degree is at MIT. So, actually, what everyone was telling me not to do was go back to MIT which Mm, obviously is a different situation than most people who are looking at LGO. But I think at the end of the day, when I was looking at just 
other MBA programs, just straight MBA programs versus LGO, like the opportunity to do both degrees, I think, was still what sealed the deal. And the fact that, you know, you have fellowships, you work with these great partner companies. And also for me, I just love the idea of having people in a business school who also have this similar sort of technical mindset or this like they see the value in the technical side of things. And so for me, I think that's kind of what pushed me over the edge. And I was like, eh, even if I get all my degrees from like MIT, I'm fine with it. Like, I love the people there. I love the environment. Like people are super smart and, you know, it'll be a good two years. Yeah. And and Lisa, you and Lauren, both of you actually did your undergraduate degree in chemical engineering, right? And both of you actually switched to civil and environmental engineering. Maybe we could start with Lauren. Why did you switch? Why did you make that jump? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I guess first, for people who aren't as familiar with the program, I'd like to highlight MIT doesn't have an industrial engineering department. So I'm mostly focusing on industrial engineering style classes and supply chain and operational efficiencies within civil and environmental engineering. So there also is great classes on structures and, you know, more traditional civil things. But so for me, I worked for almost eight years as a chemical engineer at ExxonMobil, and the company was really good to me, but I never really liked chemical engineering, (laughs) and I just kept trying different jobs, trying to get one I liked, so... I really enjoyed helping make operations more efficient, and I loved being at the manufacturing plant. But when we would be troubleshooting something and people were talking about, like, our, you know, duty may not be right on this reboiler, I honestly was pretending to be interested, and everyone else was so passionate. And eventually, I tried enough jobs that I realized I was just never going to get that spark through what that industry had to offer. But I really, really wanted that spark. So I did a lot of reflecting on what I did like about my job. And that led me to realize it was driving efficiencies and more in the supply chain in um, what's called operations research at MIT. And so that was kind of what led me to look at LGO because similar to Juliet and Lisa, I wanted that business foundation and want to be in more of a managerial role in the future, but didn't want to go so far away from engineering and in, in like fully into the management coursework. And Lisa, what was going through your mind at the time? What factors were you considering when you did that jump? Yeah, I would say it's somewhat similar to what Lauren described. I mean, I wasn't really serving as a chemical engineer within biotech anyways. Like I did some rotations in manufacturing, but otherwise I was much more focused on driving operational efficiencies and operational excellence in general. And so I also found sort of the industrial engineering side of the civil and environmental degree to be really appealing. Um, because I already had experience with manufacturing, I also was like, yeah, supply chain, like that's tangential or like very complimentary. Don't know much about it. Might as well learn about it. Yeah. And I can still drive efficiency. So for me, it was kind of filling a gap in my operations knowledge within an organization. Um, and that's why I kind of made that pivot thinking that I wouldn't necessarily stay in the biotech industry either. I would potentially switch to a different industry just to understand kind of how they treat operations differently. Definitely varies from one place to another. So I'm curious, Lisa, when you joined the LGO program, 
you were involved with so many different activities. You're the VP for Sloan Women in Management Club. You co-led several committees within LGO. How was your experience being involved in so many activities? Yeah, so I guess I've always been super involved within campuses, whether it was undergrad or even within my work previously. I was part of like a women's professional group. And so I think one of the unique things about LGO is that you can be part of all these different organizations. Like Juliet is part of a bunch of organizations as well. And I think for the committees in LGO, I think it's just a really unique experience for students to be able to kind of work with the staff and the faculty and really shape the experience of all your classmates. Um, And I don't know, I, I guess I'm one of those weird people who just thinks planning things is fun. So I personally get a kick out of it. And I like seeing other people sort of enjoy the experiences that I can help create. And of course, like on the women's front, you know, I've always been part of sort of women professional organizations. And so it was very natural for me to kind of find a place within Sloan Women in Management as well. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of looking for opportunities to, to further build professional development, career leadership, things of that sort um, was sort of a natural transition for me. How do you think the swim club helped you throughout this time? I think it's a great, I mean, two years in an MBA program is super short. I mean, the transition and the turnover that you see in all these organizations, which Lauren will probably be able to speak to as well within Senate is just, I mean, you're there for like a year kind of, and then you transition out. And so it is hard to make, I would say, long lasting change, but it is an easy way to sort of network beyond your ocean your first year and beyond the LGO class. So I think it's just one way I was able to meet more people within the Sloan community, just especially in that first year or first fall semester, just because you typically take your classes with just a very small subset of the student population. That's very true. And Lauren, you're also part of several committees within the LGO program, and you're a senator for the LGOs. So how is your experience being on the Senate, and what change do you hope to enact? That is a great question. I'm really enjoying being on the Senate so far. I actually had really similar interests to Lisa and wanted to get involved in SWIM, and then at one of the SWIM I guess, recruiting meetings where they talk about what cabinet positions are open. They encouraged us to join Senate because fewer women were running for Senate roles relative to the percent of women in the class than men. So I thought, well, that would be a really interesting place to try and enact similar changes. So I am on the diversity, equity, and inclusion subcommittee within Senate. Mm -hmm. And our main focus uh, for the initiative I'm leading is helping with underrepresented minority recruitment. And so it's working with all the different affinity representation clubs to try and find best practices and things that are really working. It's additionally challenging this year because of COVID, so all the recruiting's done virtually. So, you know, the playbook they might have developed that worked in the past isn't the same playbook. So we're having to continue to work on that this year. But it's been really great. I'm helping learn, even though I'm a senator, I would say we really still don't have authority. So it's a great exercise in influencing without authority and getting a lot of time to talk to the administration and understanding how to figure out what's in it for them and reframe your initiatives in a way that they will be engaged with and you can help continue to move the needle. I also think it's a really good change management skill set to work on because we get new students every two years. So you don't want to keep rehashing the same thing because people just didn't 
document the work that had been done so far. So working on ways to help educate the incoming class of senators so that we get continuous improvement and don't kind of backpedal to onboard new people. And then the other main thing we're working on is because of COVID, there have been a lot of things around just making sure the students feel their needs are getting met and the uh, students administration, you know, kind of come to the same place regarding how we can safely be socially distant yet still make the network, which is a huge reason why so many people come to business school. Um, So that's something Mm. I really didn't anticipate when becoming a senator, but you know, you are representative of your student body. So I think you have to, to some extent, put your own agenda aside and really help meet the needs of the people who elected you. So I I didn't really anticipate to come to business school and get involved with like politics, for lack of a better term, (laughs) but I am learning a lot about it. Um, It's definitely helping increase my empathy, I would say, towards other people's opinions. Yeah, for sure. And I think the COVID thing is just another curveball that was thrown at us, right? Like nobody anticipated that we would be going through Zoom University. (laughs) So it's just crazy to think how we've been managing everything so far. And being a senator and even outside of that, you know, Lauren, how do you define your new normal? Like how do you stay sane and connected with all these people? I I think that's a question that all of us are facing right now. So I'm a super extrovert. We did superlatives for our class and I won most extroverted um, of all 47 <laughs> LGO. So that can, I guess, help give people who don't know me a uh, scale level of, of how extroverted I am. So COVID's been pretty hard. I'm also in a long distance marriage. So that just makes it like a little bit more difficult. But I would say it's really embracing Zoom or just old-fashioned phone calls again like if that means you know if you're tired of having your video on just calling each other so michelle a member on my uh from my core team she also is a chemical engineer from ExxonMobil and is now a civil and so we're in a lot of classes together got to know each other well over the summer we'll just if you're like stuck on a problem set or just want to talk we'll just like drop a zoom link in whatsapp and be like hey do you have 15 minutes and you know if it's been a rough day we'll turn the video off so that you're not getting the zoom fatigue but can just have someone to decompress with and share that experience with and then it's following all the cdc guidelines of course but uh, cambridge is a beautiful outside place so you can do like a socially distanced walk with people down by the charles river which is amazing Uh, mit's campus was a huge draw and then it's really been retooling my life to find ways to find stress relief so I'm not a runner I guess you could say jogging it's it's a very slow like 11 12 minute mile but I couldn't (laughs) do any cardio at all at the start of the pandemic and now knowing I was going to go live by the Charles I made myself start to run there's a really nice app if you want to start running called couch to 5k or couch to 10k that'll coach you so like for stress relief I've started doing that so I should hit a 10k on like Christmas Day. So that'll be a a mini accomplishment for me. But I used to do jujitsu, which is a very social, physical martial arts sport. And obviously with COVID, I'm not going to be like grappling people. That sounds very dangerous. So, (laughs) you know, found other ways. There's Sloan Running Club where people do socially distance runs together. So I think it's about creating new structure in ways that are safe and and healthy and, and giving yourself the forgiveness and like if you need a mental health day yeah. to just watch netflix even though we're busy students like that that is okay it's what your body needs i never in my life did i think i was gonna run every day but one of my friends in lgo just convinced me to do that and i'm definitely on the same boat as you are <laughs> it's it's definitely 
whatever fits with each of us, whatever, however we stay connected and sane during this time. So Juliet, I'm curious for you as well, like, it's, it's great to hear that all of these cohort members and the LGO program are part of our community right now. Are there any formal or informal support groups that have helped you along the way at MIT? Uh, there's a lot of different ways. I think they're mostly informal for me. There's been a lot of different ways through my LGO experience that I've gotten support from, from different avenues. You know, even it might be surprising to some people, but even the LGO staff at times has been part of my support network. I've, when I first came to LGO, I had a a personal hardship. My I had to put my dog down for a reason, and the staff was really, really great. Actually, I I think I was crying in the kitchen at some point, and they were one of the staff Aww. members was just really great about not making me feel uncomfortable and able to to take me to the side and and just listen to me and and just let me cry in her office. And she also has a dog, so it was nice to just kind of have that. But the yeah. LTO family is, you know, everybody talks about how how we're all a family and it's it's really real i think that you know that can sound really cliche almost but it's you know i had close friends in undergrad and everything but i i haven't really found anywhere else that there's a a graduate school program where everybody's so close i think maybe it's because we have such similar backgrounds or something of that sort but i've made some really really great friendships through lgo and so even during this COVID time, we, we kept up with our WhatsApp when we were all kind of all over the world for our internships. We all, you know, kind of helped each other out, even though we were in our own little silos around the world. I personally was at Boeing, so I had some people in the area with me, and we were really strongly, you know, making sure each other were okay. I think I dropped off some baked goods at some point to some people to make sure they were okay. So, you know, and, and kind of to Lauren's point, just going out and having like a walk with somebody, even if you don't really talk about anything, to just, mm. you know, be near somebody and be able to vent. And I haven't really been able to find other people through the Sloan program who I can just have the same kind of conversations about business, engineering, job search, all those mm. things. The LGO community is really like full of people who just get it better, I suppose. You know, you don't have to yeah. explain it so much. You can just kind of have those easy conversations. So, yeah, there's mostly been informal for me, but kind of all throughout the LGO community, I've found different ways to, to have a support network at this time. And it's been really, really helpful, I think. I think that's another thing that surprised me, too, with the LGO program. It's like we're so close because we're, you know, we've already gone through like a summer term together, taking the same classes day in and day out. And even after that, a few of us are still in engineering classes together or the same cohort in some of the MBA courses. So it's like whenever you need help, people are like ready to just jump onto a Zoom call or, or whatever it yeah. is to just help you. And I think that's just that just speaks for the LGO program itself. So Julia, earlier when we started, you mentioned something about the imposter syndrome. And mm. I'm wondering, how did you overcome that? Or how are you coping with it? And how did LGO help with that, if, if anything at all? Yeah, I mean, I think imposter syndrome, maybe particularly for women, I, of course, I don't have the opposite experience. But I think it's a something that I'll have to just constantly handle. But I definitely think I'm getting more and more tools through LGO, through my time in grad school, through being with other LGOs and other strong women in the program. I'm getting those tools to help me with the imposter syndrome overall. So, you know, there's 
But imposter syndrome comes in different flavors and different ways, right? So although I have some imposter syndrome at work, both on the engineering side and on the business side, being in the autonomous vehicle space and not being a computer scientist was definitely somewhat of an imposter syndrome feeling. And then again, like I said, with the business side, not having that business degree in the background also had that. But then at MIT, you kind of feel it in a different way, right? In LGO, you have the great flexibility that you're both a Sloney and you're an engineering student, but sometimes you feel like you're almost neither at a, to a point, right? Sometimes you don't feel like you're the strongest Sloney, and sometimes you don't feel like you're the strongest engineering student. And so sometimes that's hard. But I, again, I think having the LGO community, having other, especially women in my network who understand what I'm going through so that I can explain to them, you know, hey, I was in this class and I I participated because I wanted to get my participation points for Sloan, but I really said something dumb and I felt really dumb in front of the whole class, right? And all my friends are like, of course, we've all had that, right? So just having people who understand you and understand what you're going through, I think that helps a lot, but I think it's just going to be a constant thing I have to handle in different ways as, as I grow as a leader. There will be different ways that I'll feel imposter syndrome, but just having that confidence and having that support network helping you build your confidence as as you grow as a leader. I think that's really ultimately what's what's important and reminding yourself that you did get into MIT. You're probably not the dumbest person always in the room. Just reminding Mm -hmm. yourself that you you have a background and you have some really cool things to talk about and you're worthy of of the light and the time too. So you know, just something you gotta remember. And it's it's just always hard. So Yeah. You are worthy girl. I try to remember to tell other people that too, though, you know, like it's sometimes hard to to remind yourself. You you know, sometimes I just send little notes to my friends reminding them of that. I did that the other day to my friend. I was like, it's all okay. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I hope you're okay because you're fabulous. So (laughs) sometimes we just need to help each other remember that. It's hard to do. Yeah. You need those positive affirmations every day. Lisa, did you (laughs) also experience the imposter syndrome at any point? Yes, I guess. But my approach was almost like in the realm of just kind of like fake it till you make it. So before LGO working within the biotech industry and specifically where I was working in the biotech industry, most of my colleagues were older men and also being part of like a European company, it just sort of was further propagated, which is sort of interesting. And I don't know, I at some point, I think I just sort of was like, it is what it is right now, but I think the best thing to do is demonstrate that even though I'm young and maybe female, I can still sort of hold my ground and kind of mm. step up to the table, like voice my thoughts. And so I've always believed that you just kind of need to be courageous and just kind of sit at the table. And over mm-hmm. time, people will recognize that you are deserving and you should be listened to and they'll look up to you. So I I know that doesn't necessarily work for everybody because, you know, not everyone is willing to do that. But sort of what to Juliet was referring to, like, I think the more we like the people who are or who can be more outspoken, the more you can also kind of help others speak up and advocate and be an ally within the workplace or within whatever the environment is. I think the better we're going to be. It will take time. It's not going to be an instant change, but I think it's always going to happen to someone in whatever situation they are, whether you're female, whether you're a person of color or whatever your affinity is, even if you're a white male, like you could still 
feel imposter syndrome at some point, I would assume. Yeah. I don't know. Depends on the environment. But yeah. I think that's where it's just a matter of like supporting each other and at least having someone there to kind of sit at the table for you. Yeah. Did you have any, you know, strong support system, like any mentors that come into mind that really helped you through your journey? Yeah, I would say I I leaned on a number of different people within my old company. And I also Mm -hmm. looked to some of my friends who kind of went through different career paths. So I I would kind of ask them for advice in various different situations. But I found sort of mentors in my direct manager, but also kind of people that were actually my customers within the business. So they were people that I kind of would support, but I looked up to them from either a professional standpoint or educational standpoint. And so it was helpful to kind of get multiple perspectives, I would say. But none yeah. of it I would was really formal. It was all just kind of casual lunch conversation or just in between meetings, we would have those short discussions. And, and even that I felt was sufficient for me personally. Yeah, just casually every single day, if you just have somebody there for you, I think it, it makes such a huge difference. And, you know, Lauren, you also mentioned earlier that you did a lot of soul searching before applying to the LGO program. Did you have any mentor or anybody that you asked for guidance at the time? I had like family members to support me. My work as a company doesn't traditionally support the MBA model in that very few people go full-time for their MBA and actually come back. So that was a conversation that I was not comfortable having. But personally, I uh, my husband's really supportive. We're both first-generation college students, and he was actually getting his law degree while I was thinking of applying to MBA programs. So he had kind of gone through a similar process in like, what does it mean to go back to school again and financing, yeah. et cetera. So I leaned on him a lot. We've been together since we were 19, so we know each other very well. So, you know, talking out loud to him is kind of the same as soul searching. And then I actually joined Forte, which is a, I believe it's a nonprofit with the aim to get more women in business. And Mm -hmm. it has a very small fee. You would join the year before you start your MBA applications. And it helps you explain the whole MBA application process, ex- understand different industries, help find your stories. So like your why, and it comes with a bunch of fee waivers to partner schools. So mm. it more than pays for that small amount of money you have to pay to join mm, the program. That's good to know. And so I, because of the cost of the MBA, I was very non-committal but highly interested so that was like a low enough financial risk that I did that and the Forte network in general just had has a ton of support to help coach women through business and while we're on the topic there's management leaders for tomorrow and a couple other programs out there if women is not the identification that would work for you to help you get into business school but there's lots of resources out there if you are a first gen student where you don't really have anyone professionally or personally who like understand master's programs and know how to navigate that space that can help prospective students go through that. I think it's so important that these resources are there for anybody who's trying to get into this program. And from any of you, I would love to hear if you've acted as a mentor or as an advocate for any young woman in the past throughout your journey. Yeah, I've um, at work, I always asked if, if they would let me have them to be the mentor for the interns. And we were lucky enough to have a, a lot of female interns. I think chemical engineering is luckily a field in engineering that is trending towards parity. And so 
it, it was really interesting because we're on this call talking about, you know, imposter syndrome and things like that. And it's definitely something I've been through before. But I think the older you get, the more you realize, even if you're like weak in one area, you're strong in another. And so yeah. you just use a different lens with which to compare yourself and realize it's not so binary. But then you see yourself in these younger women who to them, like that internship is, it is very black and white, right? Like they're either as good or not as good as the people they're holding themselves up against. Um, So it's mm-hmm. been great, I think, just to kind of pay it forward, like so many people did for me throughout my career and help give them coaching. Even if it's small things like in meetings, I think as, as young people, we tend to say, um, or like, and for whatever mm-hmm. reason, in American culture that can come off as not as mature or self-depreciating uh, humor, unfortunately, is something that is rather common, at least in American women. And so helping just have those private coffee chats to give them small polishing things that, you know, people might have not wanted to do, whether it's hurting their feelings or taking the time before that can really help set them apart and then also just giving them career advice in a a safe space to know like hey i'm i'm not gonna say what we're talking about to anyone else it's okay if you have questions about the company or this career field i understand that this is a great opportunity but you don't have to pretend like everything is you know a hundred percent rosy and giving them that safe space to kind of ask the questions the way applicants freely do for us whenever you know they're applying to school or get in. I think in work, people are, I guess, because it's the job they perceive to be on the line, I feel like are a little less willing to say those types of comments unless you give them permission to. Juliet, Lisa, any experiences on your side? Yeah, I guess similar to how I've personally approached mentorship, I would say most of my relationships with like mentees as well has been pretty informal. Like there are people that I've just sort of become friends with within the workplace who have kind of joined the company after me. I actually started off in a rotational program in in biotech. And so a lot of people who have gone through that rotational program after me, I've kind of met with them in coffee chats and tracked their own progression and careers throughout the company, and some now applying to business schools as well. So I've kind of just maintained contact with them and just kind of, where are you going? Like, what are you thinking? Where are your interests? And provided some advice along the ways. But I think similar to what we were talking about previously around imposter syndrome, like, I think it's just helpful to, especially with some of the younger females within the work environment, is just to like create a a strong relationship, whether it's professional or personal within the relationship, because then they, Mm -hmm. you know, they know someone that is more senior and they're comfortable with. And it, I think, just helps people be more comfortable, even if there's not great equity within the specific environment. But yeah, I would say nothing I've done has been super formal. It's been a lot more of just kind of more casual touch points over time. Just letting them know that you are there. Yeah, I am here for you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I want to shift gears a little bit because I know we previously talked a little bit about relationships. And I'm wondering, how did this program affect your relationship with your SO? And maybe, Lauren, we can start with you because I know you mentioned you were in a long distance relationship. Um, Sure. I I don't want to say it's like easy, but we've had to do long distance before. So we kind of have a playbook that works for us. 
And we were really blessed to have Rathi Morthy lead a seminar for both classes last week. And someone asked her about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And she said, it's not really a balance, but it's finding, you know, the four or five things that you can't compromise on and building everything else around that, which I thought was a really wonderful way to look at it. So for my husband and I, his name's Chris, it's okay, X nights a week, we're going to have dinner together at this time. And we make sure that we structure so that we quit working by a certain time and jump on a call and, you know, share a meal together. Or we're actually just switching to Apple so that we can FaceTime because we realize we want to be able to walk in the respective parks in our cities and go on a virtual date together, sharing a walk. So honestly, I think COVID almost made it easier in that like technology and zoom and stuff has we've all gotten so much more used to it over the past year that then when we did have to start going long distance it wasn't as unfamiliar but we've been together since we were 19 and when we did long distance when we were much earlier in the relationship i think it was a lot harder because the the tech wasn't quite where it is but now i don't want to say it's easy but if you have those priorities in place and you make sure you're making time for each other and communicating well, it's it's definitely manageable. And then kind of earlier, Juliet, you were mentioning like how great and supportive the LGO network was. I have two cats that we've had for eight years now. And because you have to move for the internship, we thought it was best to leave them with my husband. And so it's the first time I'm without pets too. And so all the other LGOs who I'm friends with who have pets, let me borrow their dogs for walks and snuggles. And so that's how I get like affection that is, you know, fits within the bounds of the relationship. And because of COVID, you can't go, even your girlfriend, you don't want to give a hug to right now, right? So these uh, pets of my various friends have become my cuddle buddies. So the LGO community is truly completely supportive. Yeah, we've got a lot of cuddle buddies in in our LGO cohort, for sure. (laughs) Julia and Lisa, I'd love to hear from you both as well. Like you joined the program before COVID and all this stuff happened. So how do you feel like it affected your relationship and how do you feel like the SOs integrated with the LGO community? So I'm I'm a little different than both Lauren and Lisa in that my SO lives in Boston with me. Mm. So we, we've been in Boston for about about 10 years before I started LGO. I also met him uh, when I was 19, actually. So similar Aww. to Lauren there. But yeah, I, you know, I saw my SO, Brian, go through graduate school first. So when he went to get his master's degree in engineering, I supported him during that time. So we kind of had an idea of what it was going to be. But given that I was going for two degrees, we also knew that mine would probably have more of a a time commitment, more of a burden there. Um, but similar to Lauren, we kind of just, you know, set some, we didn't actually formally set some ground rules or anything like that. But me and Brian have always really loved cooking and baking. And even before school, we're always the type of people who cook for ourselves at least five times a week, which I know to some people our age is like a lot. Yeah. That Um, is a lot. We we just really like it. So even when I started LGO, we always make our list on Sunday for groceries and we plan the whole week. So I would let him know, hey, I'm not going to be home these days, but otherwise, right, if I can, I'll always be home for dinner. And I generally try not to work too much after dinner. Of Mm. course, I'll read a case and things like that, do some things on the couch, whatever that you got to do. You got to do some work. But I try to to be there, you know, especially for dinner. And I I think to Lauren's point about COVID, I think actually it's been easier to an extent with COVID because, yeah, we're just in the home together all the time. But I can work all the way up to 738 when we're starting dinner and and, uh, do all that work and not feel guilty about 
being at school and not being with Brian or vice versa, being with Brian and not being with my friends. So I think COVID has made it a lot easier, in, in my opinion, to kind of compartmentalize or schedule things appropriately such that I prioritize Brian. So it hasn't been too hard for us. I will say I did go on internship in Seattle, so I did make that move and we were going to be long distance. Granted, COVID happened, so that kind of went by the wayside and I just came back home. But I think one of the harder parts that we're facing now is just as we're moving into this next phase of life and I'm getting into recruiting and jobs, right? It's getting harder and harder to have the exact ideal place for us to both live, to uh, have our careers take off in the same direction, right? So just trying to manage hey, are we going to move? What's the best thing for both of us? And just trying to make it work for two people rather than one is just a little bit harder, right? I can't say I'm going to move to Europe next next year or anything like that without seeing what's there for Brian or, or whatever, right? So I think it's going to be a little harder moving forward, but we've kind of already had those discussions about which one of us will take priorities in different times. We're kind of trading back and forth who has to make the sacrifice, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah. it's a little hard, but we're making it making it work. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess maybe I'm sort of a blend of what Julia and Lauren had described. So my SO and I were actually long distance for most of our relationship until just mm-hmm. before LGO, where I actually finally moved to San Diego with him. And then I left for LGO, so we were long distance again. And then when COVID hit, I came back to San Diego, so I got to be here. So, yeah, I don't know. In some ways, COVID has been nice because I got to be in the same place with him. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think in general, though, obviously, everyone has different types of relationships with their partners. And for us, we've always sort of like work and career has been really important to us. And so even in business school, like... We talk, but I'm not. We're not quite as regimented or disciplined as like Lauren or Juliet, where it's like certain times we're going to talk to each other. It's just like whenever it happens, it happens. And it's funny because I've talked to some of the LGOs about this, and they're like, "I don't know how. How is that possible? Like, don't you need to be together?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's. I mean, it works for us. And so f- even like talking about careers, like I decided I was going to take a job not in San Diego, and the two of us are like, "Okay, how are we going to make this work?" We'll split our living situation and we'll sort of travel between two destinations. We'll stay on the West Coast. I think where society is at today, it seems like it's a much more acceptable to sort of make some of those decisions, especially as a female, where instead of me trying to give up an opportunity to take the next professional step, my SO is like, you do it you want to do it, I'll support you, like we'll buy a place, whatever it is, It's great, but we'll make yeah. it work, right? So I think it's just kind of the trade-offs of when do you want to put career first versus family first, per se. Yeah, We're not quite married or anything like that. So at least for us, it's kind of just like one step at a time. I will say, though, sort of shifting gears slightly, is I think the three of us are slightly, I don't know if we're completely representative of the, of the MBA class. What I've found is actually a lot of there are more single females in the MBA class than people in relationships, whereas all three of us have been in very long-term relationships. So I don't know how that has necessarily changed like the dating dynamic of the MBA experience, <laughs> but I just want to throw out throw that out there in case people are like, what? Why is everyone in these multi-year relationships before business school? Like, I don't think that's necessarily yeah. the norm, but it just so happens the three of us. Definitely not the case. <laughs> 
Not the case. I'm an example of that. Still single. Hello. (laughs) No, for sure. That's great to hear, though. It's great to hear your perspectives and that the silver lining of COVID is that, you know, you get to be closer together in, in some ways. So that's great to hear. And I think if you come to business school, whether you're single in a relationship and they can come with Mm -hmm. you, have kids, you're married, or it's long distance, like all of that is represented at business school. And there's support communities for if you bring an SO with you, if you're a family, or if you're single. So yeah, I'd say to add to what Lisa said, like, don't let our really high representation in the long-term relationship misswage you or make you think that like you wouldn't be represented with whatever your identity and relationship status is. Absolutely. But all three of you are pretty diverse in your professional backgrounds and you come from very impressive companies before the LGO program and various skill sets as well. So I'd actually love to hear what you feel you're getting in the LGO program that you didn't get when you were in the industry. And maybe, Juliet, we can start with you. Yeah. I feel like throughout you, I'm getting so many different things. It's kind of hard to think about which one. But I think ultimately, it kind of goes back to what I was alluding to earlier with the imposter syndrome conversation of just credibility in every little aspect that I'm in. So for, for the business side of things, just having the right type of words to say, the right arguments to make the right kind of strategy, the right kind of financial analyses to back my arguments, all that just helping me have that credibility later on in life. I feel like that's going to be awesome. And then Mm -hmm. on the engineering side, just getting really deep in what I'm excited about and being able to talk to experts and things like that. So in my department of Aero Astro, I have people who I basically have looked up to professionally before I even joined LGO. And now I get to chat with them. I get to have class with them. They get to tell me I'm impressive, which is amazing, right? Like all these things I get to. So to an extent, there's some form of validation, I suppose, there that combats that imposter syndrome. But ultimately, it's for me to build up credibility. So for my background, I wasn't really an engineer engineer at first in school. I studied math first, and then I, I kind of picked up a mechanical engineering degree on my way out. But I didn't feel like I was a very credible engineer because I didn't like know I wanted to be a roboticist since I was 10 years old, like all the guys in my, mm-hmm. in my industry, right? I wasn't writing code at 12 or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so I just always felt behind. But now that I have all this and I'm getting at MIT, I'm writing this thesis that I'm starting to be really proud of. I have these really cool professors who are backing me on it, who like think that I have some great ideas. All that just helps me build credibility, mostly internally, honestly. I think it's for myself to an extent, but I, I really feel like I'm getting to that point where I can be proud of the expertise that I, I always knew I was building up, but now I feel like I'm starting to get to that point where I can be really impressive in a field if I work another five, ten years, hopefully even a leader and, yeah. and really shaping the direction of the industry. And, and so LGOs really put me into that direction much more than I was before. Sure. Yeah. And that brand name too. Just having that MIT brand name. Not too shabby. It does not hurt. Does not, not too hurt. shabby. You know, brass, I rat know. And all. brass rat and all. <laughs> Lauren, what about you? What do you feel was the most important factor that you got out of the program that you couldn't get when you were working at ExxonMobil or anywhere else in the industry? I'd say there are really like three main reasons that drew me here outside of the, the community, which is 
amazing and, and probably was like a big deciding factor when I actually did have to choose where to matriculate to. And it's industry knowledge, sharpening my technical skill set, and then the leadership development. So for industry knowledge, just like I was in oil and gas, you're supposed to learn about oil and gas. There's a lot of different things you can do within there, but you can't just be like, hey, I'm interested in healthcare today. I'm going to go talk to a bunch of people about that because you're getting paid to do a job, right? That's just, <laughs> you know, the way employment works. So whatever industry you're interested in, you know, just in the business school setting, there's a club for it. And you can set up coffee chats and, and talk to people and, and learn about that to help figure out what you really are interested in and what you want to do kind of with your life when you leave here, right? From a technical skill set, I also hadn't been coding since I was 10 or 12. I actually, mm -hmm. I coded a lot in undergrad and is an intern in undergrad and then never touched it a day in my working professional life. I and mean, if you're looking to pivot careers or even within the same company, help with data analytics, which is really important and buzzwordy right now. I didn't yeah. even know, like, I didn't know that Python was a programming language that was i heard people talking about python and had to google it and so <laughs> to go here and like in our summer core we take a data analytics class we have a basically python workshop so if mm -hmm. you don't know any python it'll get you up to speed to be able to do it for your internship and if you do know it you get to do harder stuff to increase your skill set and then within whatever engineering major you're in so for me learning more about those deep supply chain skills really i see it as kind of like sharpening up my technical chops to be able to go back and be more of a, a power player in the industry especially as i said if, if i want to pivot i and very much slowly becoming like more of a subject matter expert in oil and gas and chemicals, which unless I want to stay there, wasn't going to be that beneficial. And then leadership, you know, it's called Leaders for Global Operations. And we have a lot of leadership classes we go through. We help coach each other on leadership. And then we get, if you would like to uh, be assigned a professional LGO alumni mentor. And so through all of those aspects, like you're constantly talking about leadership. So I think kind of the LGO program is amazing, but then just additionally as a whole, going back to a program like this, you kind of get to be selfish for two years because you are what your project is. Like you're not getting assigned stuff at work. It's whatever you want to work on for you. And mm -hmm. that's just a true gift that I know a lot of people don't have the opportunity or the you know financial wherewithal to go do that for themselves. But I think for those of us who can, just really appreciating this opportunity for what it is and taking the time to make sure we make the most of it and kind of realize how lucky we are to be able to make that investment in ourselves is really important. Very well said. Just the autonomy as well, just having that autonomy to make those decisions, definitely. And Lisa, I, I'd love to ask you about, on the topic of career and, and so forth, you and Julia, both of you are sort of nearing the end of the program. So what is the single most important factor in choosing a company for you? Oh, there's so many different things. <laughs> one. If you could choose one. <laughs> I guess it's going to sound, yeah. Okay, so I ultimately chose where I was going to take my full-time position just based on gut feel, which mm. is not probably not the response you're looking for. But no. I would say it's <laughs> – for me, it was ultimately based on like doing something new and having a company that was inspiring to me. And so I'm, I'm going to be joining Nike, but I mean, I've always enjoyed the products. Like I'm, tr I'm doing it 
a completely different type of role than I was doing before. It's a different type of industry. It's been a complete Mm. pivot for me, which has been surprising because I thought I knew what I was going to do coming into LGO. And now it's, it's totally different. But at the end of the day, I mapped out all the pros and cons of all the options. And I was, you know what, this one just feels the best. And That's what I went with. So I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but that's how I ultimately chose. Oh, there's no right or wrong answer at all. I mean, I think gut feeling is is definitely something we all get when when we work at a company. (laughs) It's great to hear. And congratulations as well. Thank you. (laughs) Julia, what about you? What's the single most important thing? Yeah, even coming into LGO, I guess there's, there's a wide variety of people at LGO as far as like people who know exactly what they want to do and people who are still exploring. I was definitely in the former bucket. I came in like, this is my goal. This is what I got to do to get there. So when I'm looking at my job search, it's, it's really flowed very naturally from what I thought it would. Uh, so like I said, previously being in autonomous vehicles, I knew I wanted to stay in autonomy. I think I've built up a good niche set of knowledge for myself that, of course, I could Mm. try to pivot elsewhere, but I I just really like autonomous vehicles and specifically autonomous vehicles, not really like factory automation or manufacturing automation or anything like that. So I did know I wanted to go back into autonomy, but I wanted to bring, again, that that business side in. So I I had done a little stint before LGO, uh, really six months uh, stint at a company to do product management just to see, is this really what the hype's about? Heard a lot of people going into it, especially after business school. What What's the real deal? And I really did like it. It was a really good, especially as a more technical pro, uh, product manager, being able to marry the sides of strategic thinking and business thinking and presentation skills and negotiation between people with that yeah. technical know-how and chops. So yeah. when I was going into my into my job search, that was the criteria, product manager within autonomy. That's it, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was really willing to look anywhere and everywhere. My SO, Brian, was like, you go wherever you want to go. And, you know, it's my time to sacrifice. We're going to follow you this time. It's going to be great. So, so that was really it. And that is somewhat of a niche area. So it's not like I had a ton of options per se, but there is still quite a bit in, in the field of autonomous vehicles for product managers. So I've been very fortunate to get a few offers now, and I'm, I'm really excited to choose between the two. And, and now that I have that, that first criteria checked off for both yeah. of them, it comes down for me more to, to lifestyle and, and where I'm going to live. They're in different areas, one's in the mm. Bay, one's in Seattle. Um, so really it comes down to, for both me and my SO, Brian, you know, where do we just want to live for the next five, seven, ten years, right? Where do we yeah. want to build up our next network? And, and where are we going to love living outside of work? Because although we've been really, really focused on work up till now, right, we, we also value that time outside of work and, and having the kind of city life or the kind of access to wildlife or access to areas to escape to. All these things that you think about now with COVID of like, oh, how I wish I could be near the wilderness or I could be near <laughs> like some nice places, right? Maybe the city's yeah. not always that great. All that's really becoming the major factor now that I've ticked off the major box of this is where I want to go in my career. Now it's, okay, now that I'm making the good career step, where can I be happy, right? So that's that's kind of what I looked at. That's lovely. Finding that happiness, that happy place. (laughs) And it's hard, right? It's hard to know which one's going to be the right one. You have some assumptions you're making, right, as far as 
what you know of the areas, but the areas I'm looking at, I don't really know people there. So it's going to be, yeah. hopefully I make the right option, but yeah. I, I think, I think it'll be good either way. I think LGOs are very fortunate coming out of the program of having yeah. so many good options that I, I'm finding with myself and with my friends that it's not the question of like, oh, do I have an offer that I want? It's like, but I have so many I want, right? So that's <laughs> yeah. the nice thing about it all. That's great. I mean, that's always great to have. And you're going to do great, Juliet, wherever you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be exciting for sure. Absolutely. Well, ladies, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, and I'd love to have each of you share one piece of advice for our listeners. What is one thing that you want them to take away from this episode? And Lauren, if we can start with you, that would be awesome. I guess I would just say really as best as you can try to understand what you want and what your priorities are. And it's okay if that is like, I want to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And that's why this program makes sense, right? It doesn't have to be, I want X job, but I think the better, you know, it will help you come across more authentically in your applications, help you have a experience while you're at school. That's like more true to yourself and it will help you make the right decision for your future. And if you don't know that yet, ask yourself why a bunch of times until you get to like a really deep answer that rings true to yourself. And then forgive yourself and, and like practice self-care and, and know that if you don't have all the answers right now, that's perfectly okay. And just appreciate that you're giving yourself the opportunity and the time to even consider this and know, know you can do it and it'll all work out yeah beautifully said lisa what do you think i think maybe to build on what lauren just talked about i would say not only just know what you're looking for but in your application be very specific about how this program fits into it like I, i've told that mm. to many many applicants True. You should be able to articulate why LGO and how that fits into what you're trying to achieve for yourself. And if you can't do that, then I don't know, maybe it's not the program for you, but make sure that shines for the admissions staff, as well as all the current students and alumni that you talk to, because we are here to help you through the application process as well. So feel free to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Juliet, we'll let you have the last word. Oh, great. Uh, well, yeah, I'll build off of both uh, Lauren and Lisa's points, honestly. But like Lauren had mentioned earlier, right, grad school is going to be a point. The LGO program especially is a point where you get to be a little selfish for two years. And so before that, doing that soul-searching exercise that Lauren did, I think is absolutely what you need to be doing and figuring out what it is you're passionate about, what it is you like to do with your job, what it is you want to be doing for the rest of your life and what it is you want to embody as a leader as far as is it being an advocate for minorities, for women, for technology in certain use cases, whatever that is, finding that passion and then taking that soul-searching exercise and figuring out how your past adds to that passion, how you develop that passion, and then articulating how you're going to use that and propel you to this leadership position in the future and how you're going to just absolutely be a, a star because most people who end up coming to LGO are the type of people who are go-getters in their jobs. They were kind of those people that people were like, wow, you're, you're such a, an up-and-coming star. So 
take the time to revel in that a bit, pat yourself on the back. You are a star and think about what makes you passionate and what you're good at and use that to say, this is how I'm going to use that in the future. Whether you're pivoting to a new field or you're just accelerating what you've already started, see how you can make that future for yourself and how LGO can be your ally in realizing that future. That's what I, that's what LGO is there for. It's there to support you, not to be the thing to push you in that direction per se. You're going to push yourself, but LGO is going to be right behind you helping you. So if you could find that direction to go in and you can articulate that, you're going to be a star and you're going to be great at LGO.